Our Father, uh, we come to you, we pause and ask that this would be a time when your sweet and good authority would be real to us, that we will have known that you've been with your people because you have given them your word and your presence, and the, and the blood of Jesus becomes more and more precious and real. Guide us, O God, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, there's a sermon page, an outline for you. Um, hope that's helpful. Um, I stand before you as one who was converted to Jesus at 19 years old. And um, I woke up one morning on a Sunday. Um, I wish I knew exactly what day it was. It was the summer of 1977. And I attended church. And I was there just to be polite to the people who invited me. I had some familiarity with church. I could sing a few songs, hear, hear a nice message, and then get out of there. And it didn't happen that way. The subject of conversion is Acts 16. So the subject of conversion is very dear to my heart. Uh, I speak to you as one who has experienced it. And um, I understand what can happen. Um, we live in an age where it feels like it's almost impossible to reach someone with the gospel. I think it feels that way to me. Um, I came across this recently that um, Netflix, if you wanted to see everything on Netflix, um, it would take, and you committed four hours a day to seeing everything that's on Netflix. I wouldn't recommend that you see everything that's on Netflix. Uh, but if you committed to that and you committed four hours a day, it would take you four years. That's just Netflix. That's just one of the companies that provides entertainment. We live in a time and an age where very few people are thinking about ultimate realities. They're thinking about being distracted. And uh, I like a good movie like the rest of you. So don't interpret this as down on movies. But we live in an age where people have a restlessness, a sense of dissatisfaction, and they are impulsively trying to figure out what the, can they see pixelated in front of them in order to distract them from anything that would be significant or anything deeper. And sometimes we can conclude that it's just really hard to reach people, right? It's really hard to reach people, hard to get their attention. I'm looking out here. I think the vast majority of you would like to see your relatives, friends, neighbors come to faith in Christ. Well, I think it's everybody, right? So you maybe feel intimidated. Like, well, how can this happen? How does it happen? Right? You may look at your own skills, your ability to speak, your, your, your yeah. How can I defend this and that in the Bible? Conversion can and does happen because of the power of God. God can take a well-entertained person in our day and age and break through 
because his truth is so powerful. It really can and does happen. So I stand before you as one who understands the power of God to salvation, and God can and does use his word. I want you to have that confidence. People can be delivered. Now, there are three different kinds of people who are delivered in Acts 16. There is Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer. I love these stories. First of all, they're rather small little stories, aren't they? Little tiny stories. In world history, we might focus on Napoleon or a great war or a great general or a hero or right. Look at these little tiny stories, little tiny little vignettes. And yet, they're in Scripture. There are no small people in the kingdom of God. Lydia, a slave girl, and a jailer. One has, their, one has a name, the other two we don't know. Lydia is the first recorded convert in Europe, and she's a woman. It's very interesting. We've already had an Ethiopian man, a black man converted. Philip's ministry, Acts chapter 8. The gospel has gone to reach black people in Africa already, prior to Lydia in, in Europe. It's very interesting. Christianity is the true multi-ethnic, multicultural, transnational movement of the living God. Lydia is a worshiper of God. She is possible, it's interesting, there's a place of prayer mentioned here in Acts, right? She It's possible that this may have just been a synagogue, some a place of prayer, very mere may very well may have been a synagogue right there. Or near the synagogue, there was a place designated for prayer. So Paul hangs out there, and he's talking to these women. And, of course, he is, he's bringing the gospel to bear. I love verse 14 because we are assured right away. Look at verse 14. The Lord opened her heart. To pay attention. That's the English standard. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. To what was said by Paul. I want you to know that should you enter into a conversation about ultimate things, the Christian faith, the Bible, I want you to know that that gift of attention that you may not feel that the person's giving you. I don't know if I really, I don't, what happened in that conversation. God can give the gift of attention, meaning this is not just conversation about a football game. This is significant and real, and Lydia has been given the gift of attention, and now she is believing. She is converted on the spot. Now, conversion, let me explain what conversion is. Conversion is two things, repentance and faith. It percolates. Conversion percolates. That's my, that's my description of it. It percolates to the conscious level. Deep in the basement of the person is where God works to give them a new nature. Now, the person becomes aware. This happened to me. Became, the person becomes aware 
of the claims of Jesus and comes expressing faith in Christ and repentance. So it's the conscious awareness. If there are tears of repentance, the person may be experiencing conversion. If there's hope in Christ, turning to Christ, the person may be experiencing conversion. It's the conscious awareness. Philippi is essentially built upon this, well, this one lady's conversion. This is the, this is the beachhead. You Marines hit the beach. Well, here's the beachhead. Here's, here's, the, here's the place. And her home is opened to Paul. The Philippian jailer's home is opened to Paul. And these will become small churches there in Philippi. Luke's purpose for his readers is, Oh, Christian, there is no one who can withstand the call of God. No one. Oh, believer, know with confidence that Jesus as king can overcome all human resistance. That's why that story is in here. And somewhere in my reading, I came across this phrase. Let me explain it to you. It's in our outline. We need to be, and this is, again, I wish I could remember where I grabbed this. I'd love to give the person credit. This is from my reading. We need to be converted to our neighbor and for our neighbor. That was the phrase, and it was odd. And here's what I believe the author was intending. In evangelism, we must be thoughtful toward our neighbor, and we must be living with a consciousness for them, being aware of them. For instance, let me give you an example about my upcoming trip. What am I doing spiritually to prepare for this trip? Well, am I getting into tourist mode, right? I'm just a tourist, right? I've been thinking about how do I blend in as this white guy among the Bengali people? (laughs) Um, Some of you laugh. I've been saying, yeah, how do I? And some of you have counseled me. uh, Don't don't try. Uh, It's not going to work. So what is the mode by which I'm going to travel? What is the mode? Well, here it is. If I believe that really as a minister of the gospel, there really is no time off, I've learned that over over the years. Just when I think, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just in vacation mode. I have some long conversation with someone about the gospel somewhere. It happens all the time. So... How do I prepare in order to be ready for what I might encounter? Well, what would happen if I have some Hindu guide on our trip who speaks English well? And he has some familiar with Christianity, and he says something that's a little bit off, not quite true about Christianity. What will I do? Well, I hope that I will communicate in a friendly way truths about the gospel. That I will be for this man, meaning I will lean into the conversation and seek his good by sharing the truths about Jesus. The Apostle Paul has come to embrace other cultures. He has not come to transplant Judaism. He has not come to give them moral instructions about being better and stop this and start this. Now, he will 
Brandon will be preaching on this, Acts 17. He will come among the Greeks in Athens, the great famous Athens city. And he will point out their idolatrous tendencies. But for us, we need to be converted to our neighbor. It means that we are listeners, we are observers. We are starting where they are. Lydia, no doubt, had a limited understanding of of the God, of, of Scripture. She must have some familiarity with the God that she's praying to. But Paul has to start with, with a way of being converted to her needs, if that makes sense. And awareness has gripped him. And here's another area, is that we really believe that we are being led by God in the moments of our lives continually. Now, what I want to encourage you is this. This is my main point. This is the sermon in a sentence. Go off script. That's it. Meaning this. There is no manual in the boat as Paul travels across the Aegean Sea. All right, now, what? Page six. When you encounter a woman selling purple garments, now this is what you say, right? There's, there's no manual. He's off script. We as Christians have to get comfortable going off script, off script, meaning this. Well, figure out what needs to be said and say it. Go off script. There was once a jazz, well, I mean, he's currently alive now. I wish I knew his name. He said this. He's a jazz uh, trumpeter. He said, I'm not in the jazz business. I'm in the surrender business. I surrender to the music around me. You know, jazz, the filling in little blanks and filling in little, right? I'm in the surrender business. Meaning you're picking up cues and you're speaking, you're listening, you're quiet, you're, you're suggesting, you're asking a question, you're off script. Get comfortable with it. Get a feel for what it might be look like to just be yourself, share the gospel in the context in which you're, you're talking. The passage demonstrates that for Paul, there's one way of acting for a slave girl who is demon-possessed. There's another way of speaking for a jailer. And there's another way of talking to a woman who has familiarity with God. Person-centeredness. Develop this. Go off script a bit. Meaning, we can't sort of package this in a seminar and say, no, this is how you do it. A rote, canned thing. Years ago, there was... It's not so active now. The Four Spiritual Laws, little booklet. Some of you are familiar with it. The first spiritual law, of course, this is kind of a canned presentation, is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's the, that's the spiritual law. I don't know if you knew that. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Produced by Bill Bright, Campus Crusade. The first training for this took place in 1964 at UCLA campus. And so they trained all these folks in this canned presentation of the four spiritual laws. And then they went out onto, US, onto, onto uh, UCLA campus and they began to share their faith. 
And, and one of the guys who got trained talked to a guy sitting underneath, underneath a tree. And he said, can I, share, can I share with you the four spiritual laws? And the guy said, sure. He said, well, the first spiritual law is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, the second spiritual law is, and, and the guy said, well, can I ask any questions? And he said, yeah, sure. What do you mean by God? I wasn't part of the training. So if we don't get ready to go off script, we won't be ready. And so every time we go off script means we're just ourselves, we're person-centered, we're thoughtful. It's a good question. I'll get back to you. This passage demonstrates that there is no randomness in the universe. There's no randomness to these events. Think of the variety of ways that you can represent the Christian faith, wisdom from God, biblical truth to your friends and neighbors, associates at work. Now, this leads us then to another story. Now, this is a story that includes Paul visiting this place of prayer many times and I'm envisioning there's like a marketplace here. Um, now, people are always intrigued with the future, and apparently this girl had a demon inside her. The Bible sort of talks very frankly and directly about this. And uh, so her owners, how awful is this? Her owners have, have made a living by her predicting fortunes. Now, demons don't know the future. They're limited. They're not omniscient. So all this probably is predictions that might seem plausible, right? Probably seem plausible. But if you follow the money, you can see that she is obviously not loved, and she's only around because of the money she can bring. And we enter in this story a very dark spiritual realm. And the other thing is that Paul at first doesn't seem to discern what's going on. And I love how Luke includes, and Paul was just annoyed with her. <laughs> that was level one. What's, what's the deal with you? And then he realizes what's going on, and he casts out this demon. It's an exorcism in Philippi. And she had been, she had been proclaiming, these are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, that's not bad as an opener. And Paul's, essentially, Paul's saying, no, we will speak for ourselves and for our God. This young girl, we, we don't have a lot about her conversion here. I, I'm pretty confident that she's not left in some sort of empty state. I'm sure she, at some level, is turning to Christ. We don't hear, hear many details. But this is certainly going off script a bit dealing with oppressed people, people with troubles. She's not, she's not sort of a, a nice moral person. Lydia is sort of a, an accomplished person in society. She's an entrepreneur, probably has a, a moral structure to her life. It's very, very compatible to Paul. And this girl comes out of a very dark background. But she's not too far from the kingdom of God. 
Examine, examine your heart about what repulses you. What, what causes you to be distant from people? I've got a podcast I'll recommend to you after church if you bug me about it. Someone reaching out to those who are in the, in the sex industry, I guess they call it. Unbelievable story of what the, this woman was willing to do to reach out. in Louisville, Kentucky. Examine where you think you could never go off script. Maybe maybe you're being called to a life of compassion. I think you are. The story of deliverance is here for us to communicate to us that this kingdom is includes all kinds of people, just like the ministry of Jesus did. Now let's take a look for a moment at this anxious jailer. Now this leads to problems in Philippi. Uh, the slave owner owners have lost their income, and they come up with these trumped-up charges. Uh, there's a riot in Philippi, and Paul and Silas are beaten and then thrown in jail. Now, Paul is a Roman citizen. You can't just beat Roman citizens. They get a trial. And so Paul keeps this back a bit. I don't know why he doesn't scream out and say, I'm a Roman citizen, but he will square up with the magistrates later. Now, he's thrown in jail. Scene three. Him and Silas are singing hymns spiritual songs chained to a wall in a Philippian jail. And I love how Luke includes that the other jail, jail, those in the jail are listening to them. And no doubt the jailer is listening. And they are singing songs in jail. These are not songs at a resort and spa. They're singing songs in the darkness. Again, there's no manual for missions. Page 16 doesn't cover this. We've got to go off script. And God has brought us to a place where we wouldn't normally have wanted to go, but here we are. And he is still king. And then an earthquake comes and shakes this place to the ground. And the jail, those who are in the jail all stand around. It's the middle of the night. Paul and Silas are freed. The jailer is running around with a, some sort of light, some sort of you know, lantern. And he is recognizing this will not go well if all those in jail have escaped. The Roman authorities do not look well upon these kinds of situations, not even explaining it with an earthquake. He is afraid for his life. And Paul says, we're all here. It's quite remarkable that the others in the jail don't run. And I think that they're saying this. We're staying with the singers. I wonder if someone thought, I've never seen anybody joyful in a jail before. I want to know what's going on with these men. 
C.S. Lewis said, it is a Christian duty for every believer to be as happy as he can. Did you know that? You have a duty to be happy. That's why we're worshiping today, to get get back on track with joy. You see, there is a king, and I I need to acknowledge his kingship. We had Scotty Smith from Tennessee a couple years ago. Uh, watching Scotty Smith, such a great gospel gospel teacher. And I was sitting back watching him training some of you here. He did some training at my house. I was watching Scotty speak. Uh, right next to the Apostle Paul is Scotty Smith. I'm trying to what is his deal, man? What is he after? And he kept repeating this one phrase. Tell me about your joy. No, just tell me about your joy. I know you got troubles. I know there's. It's, I know this is what's going on. This is hard. But I want. Can you tell me about your joy? He just kept going at that theme, that word. Tell me about your joy. And that's what he was after. Tell me about your joy. This is such a great time to be joyful. Stop. Go sit, go look at a Starbucks. Just go. Bring a yellow pad and observe the emotions you see of the altogether hippest people you can find. Watch them. Take a look at them. We live in a time of sharing and comparing and despairing. You are beacons of joy out there, folks. There are conversions in Europe because people were praising God. And the Philippian jailer comes running, and he has this much theological development. What must I do to be saved? I have heard you singing, and you are convinced that you have hope for eternity. And what is he thinking I can't make it through this night. What must I do to be saved? And that's, of course, the sign of religion, activity, right? And, of course, Paul and Silas say you must turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there must have been enough content in their songs where that would make sense. Now, of course, Luke's probably summarizing what they say. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. And interesting, again, We see God's covenant with his people. At least one believing adult in the family has brought the covenant of grace into that family. This is an area, Lydia's house, and this one as well, as to why we baptize young children or infants. It's not like the ultimate proof text, but it's it's interesting here that, that the covenant has arrived in this house. What must I do to be saved? Are people asking that question in all the activities they have? Is that what someone would do if they were to watch Netflix for four years? Are they actually asking that question? I'm just proposing it. You see, is that activity, is that activity of trying to find an entertainment, what's going on? Help me. What is going on with the passionate pursuit of distraction? What's going on? 
it's got to have some sort of saving power. I saw a, a film with our daughter, Amaris, a popular movie this last 12 months. It was, it was a terrible movie. It was just like really boring, really boring, uninteresting. I didn't care if that do- guy died. I didn't care if that guy, I didn't, I didn't care. It was a waste of money, waste of time. It was total, complete. I won't, what is it that people experience when they've tried to be saved through their experiences in life? People are helplessly religious, always religious. And here's another one. They're all creedal. They all have a creedal statement. You can read a bumper sticker that has a creed in it. We are helplessly religious. Whatever we're pursuing, we believe it has some saving power. Even people who are irreligious and hate God are atheists. Helplessly religious. And what he's crying out for is, in the darkness, I saw you demonstrate light. This world is a threatening world to this jailer. This is a cruel world. And you brought light into this world. For John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Philippian jailer knows that he's in trouble. He's responsible. And he's, he's now transitioned from his moment, momentary concern to an ultimate concern. Oh, what a, what a beautiful moment in someone's life. What a beautiful moment. Happened to me at 19. You know, I might want to be thinking about bigger things in my life. Like Jesus rose from the dead and he's peering into my life right now. There's a a stay of execution that I want. It's not from the Romans. It's from God Almighty. There's a stay of execution that I want. And I want you to give it to me right in the middle of this darkness. I got to have it now. Lydia's given clarity about the living God and what he's done in Jesus. She now understands the God she's been praying to. The new free, there's a new freedom, a new deliverance for the slave girl rescued out of that darkness and oppression and spiritual darkness. And now the rescue, this deliverance from the great fears of the jailer. The story of the Bible is a story of, of God's deliverance for sinners. But here's also the story. Jesus wasn't delivered. He was given over. Paul gives, the, gives Lydia clarity. Jesus is given a puzzling question. Where is my father when I need him the most? Jesus was, instead of freedom, Jesus was given oppression, human and spiritual. And the full rage of spiritual forces were against him. 
on the cross, the mockery that he received was he is proving himself abandoned by God because God is not delivering him. He asked for his fears to be relieved in the garden. As a human being, he cried out, I want this cup of wrath to be removed from me. And it wasn't. It wasn't. In the darkness, he wasn't given any light. And out of sheer resolve, he went to the cross saying this, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And upon that, one who was delivered over for us, we are delivered. And the kingdom is ours, and God joyfully gives it to us. And these little tiny stories that no one's going to notice in the world's history This is what God is doing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, these are not little tiny stories. These are great stories. Thank you for the beauty of this passage. Help us to think about our neighbor. Think about what it might be to listen to them, to be friends to them. Everyone is deeply religious, oh God. We thank you for the the excitement of life that you put us in this world of trouble and brokenness and you give us hope because we ourselves have been delivered. We know the one of whom we speak. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.